The Gist is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code GIST at checkout to get 10% off. And by Betterment, the largest automated investing service managing billions of dollars for people just like you. Get up to six months of investing free when you go to betterment.com slash GIST. Betterment, investing made better. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, April 5th, 2016 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Ceasefire in Nagorno-Karabakh. Oh, wait, I I probably have to go back a little bit to orient you. There was fighting in Nagorno-Karabakh. Wait, that's not enough context. Okay, let's go a little bit further back. Nagorno-Karabakh is a disputed region in Azerbaijan. 30,000 people died as ethnic Armenians in the 1990s seized control. Wait, I, I got to go further back than the 1990s, don't I? All right, I'm going to let Al Jazeera handle this one. Now, the region of Nagorno-Karabakh, marked here in yellow, is predominantly ethnic Armenian and placed under Azerbaijan control in 1922 by the then-Soviet leader Joseph Stalin. Well, the then-Soviet leader of the then-Soviet Union. Okay, and you can't see the yellow that she referred to on the map, but the yellow region, this breakaway region, is entirely fully inside Azerbaijan, and it does not touch Armenia. So this isn't a situation of Canada claiming North Dakota. This is a situation of Canada claiming Nebraska with North Dakota and South Dakota as buffer zones. And by the way, just listeners... I say that knowing that you're not looking at a map of the United States to orient yourself, but you're just so familiar that I could toss off geographic references to the 48th, 46th, and 37th most populous states. I know you'll get it. Anyway, back to Nagorno-Baraka. There's fighting there. Four dozen or so people have died this bout of fighting. And there's an interesting bit in the New York Times. They're quoting a veteran of the last full-scale war, the one in the 90s. And the veteran says, this land was never Azerbaijan. And by the way, Azerbaijan is not even a country. (laughs) Then the next line in the Times, it says, in Baku, the capital of Azerbaijan, the defense minister is a cure. Thereby, the New York Times saying, yeah, Azerbaijan's a country. We just refer to its capital. But that whole quote gave me an idea, an idea for a new character that I'm going to debut. I'm sure we're going to come back to him a lot. The top Armenian comic working Baku today. It's Zakov Shmornian. In Armenia, we have holes in donuts. In Azerbaijan, you do not even have holes. Azerbaijan, not a country. In Armenia, we have a new Sephora store, which is a place for makeup. In Azerbaijan, the whole nation is made a place, not a country. In Armenia, national anthem sounds like this. In Azerbaijan, national anthem sounds like this. Because it is just Armenian anthem, but heard from across a mountain range. Azerbaijan, not a country. Zakov Shmornian, ladies and gentlemen. He'll be opening his own dinner theater in Branson, Missouri. And there he'll serve Armenian food. And for those of you fasting, Azerbaijan cuisine. Because they have no cuisine. Not a country. On today's show, I'll spiel a little chalk talk. But first, Maria Konnikova will be by. And you are getting sleepy. You are going to download every past episode of The Gist. You won't be offended by Armenian comic impersonations. 
So I've used Squarespace to build uh, a website. That's what they do. That's what they build. They build a website, or I build a website, and I don't know how to code, and I don't have a really high level of skill. But guess what? I'm going to say I have a low level of skill, but it's really, really easy to use. Drag and drop, and the site looks good, and the site is three W's, then a dot, then Mike Pesca, then another dot, and then a com. I don't know if you're familiar with that particular way of setting up a website. And there you can find answers to some questions. Also, what I'm planning to do, so you might hear this, it'll come in the next couple days, uh, a where is Mike schedule, which might be the, the places that you could see me on TV, if that's your thing. I'm doing this History Channel thing about elections, live shows. I'm doing a hang up and listen live show in a couple Mondays at the Woolly Mammoth Theater in Washington, D.C. So it's all going to be there. And then I hope I become or don't become the kind of guy who's like, oh, four months ago, Mike was at the Woolly Mammoth Theater, but he hasn't cleansed his page. So when you have a really good page, I feel like you owe something to the page. And Squarespace does provide you with a really good page. And in fact, they will also provide you with some other things. Like if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain. Mine happens to be MikePesca.com. Don't use that. Also, when you start a free trial today, we'll give you 10% off. So if you decide to sign up for Squarespace, use the offer code GIST to get 10% off your first purchase. Start your free trial today at Squarespace. Take a nice deep breath and hold it. Now let it out and close your eyes. I'd like you to take your attention to your eyelids. You can relax your eyelids so much that they won't work. Once you are sure you have done that, hold on to that relaxation. Now test them to make sure they don't work. Good. Stop testing and go deeper relaxed. Now send that relaxation down through your body, from the top of your head to the bottom of the feet. Now jump back. Kiss yourself. Feel good. All right, I just mixed some hypnosis and some James Brown lyrics. I probably shouldn't do that. But our topic today is not, in fact, sex machines, are they bullshit? It is hypnosis, is it bullshit? And here to play, is it bullshit, is Maria Konnikova. She is the author of The Confidence Game. And we're going under because we're talking hypnosis. Hello, Maria. Hello, Mike. You've got an alternative career path. Pretty good, right? Yeah. All right, so I think we probably have to break this down into a couple of things. One is, is it possible to be hypnotized? And maybe you could talk about the, uh, the theory of that. And mm-hmm. then is it bullshit for certain ailments or certain sure. changes of habits? So hypnosis, I, from what I know about it, it actually maybe goes back or at least is associated yeah. with a guy named Mesmer. Is that right? From Mesmerize? That is absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes back even further. So Pre-mesmer. it goes back. Yeah, it goes back to, a man to named ancient. Hypmo? <laughs> <laughs> it goes back to ancient times where a lot of ancient uh, civilizations thought that trances were divine, that they were kind of divine visitations from God and that people who were in a trance had divine powers of healing, that they could actually heal you from a lot of different ailments. And so we had the Magi in Persia. In a lot of places, people basically induce these sorts of uh, states, often by fixating on something. So if you stare at something long enough, some people can self-hypnotize. So they can induce these trance-like states. Sometimes drugs might have been used. And they were kind of these holy people. And in Egypt, there was this whole thing called temple sleep. So people would go to, to 
to the temple and would go into this trance. And then the priest would actually su- whisper suggestions into their ears, which is a whole lot like modern hypnotic suggestion to try to get them to either change behaviors or release evil spirits or whatever it was that oh, ailed them. Although if you've ever heard my rabbi on Yom Kippur, you know what <laughs> temple sleep is all about. I just did that. But then when we get to modern times, people started associating it with witchcraft. And so it went out of favor. People said, ooh, trans bad. You're, yeah. You must be a witch. Um, so we this, say that this, too, trans yeah, fat. Yeah, yeah this, this goes back to the times of Monty Python. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> at the end of the 18th century, it was reintroduced as a therapy. And Mesmer, France, Anton Mesmer was indeed the person who first thought of it. He wasn't thinking of it as hypnosis. The word did not actually exist mm-hmm. at the time. He said that we all had animal magnetism. Yeah. So it was this magnetic power that we all had floating through us, and he would mesmerize people, so put them in a state where he would channel these magnetic powers to heal all sorts of things. He like was, if your name is Mesmer, you are going to mesmerize people. Yes. Like whatever yes. you do, you've done, gone, got mesmerized. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, when Benjamin Franklin and a whole bunch of other people tested him in scientific conditions, he was exposed as a fraud because it ended up that his assistant couldn't tell which tree had been magnetized and which tree hadn't been. Uh-huh. There was no difference between so he, them. So, so Franklin went to France when yeah, he was so ambassador Frank, in France yes, and he, he met Mesmer. He was, yeah, he Ooh, was, when Franklin mm-hmm. met Mesmer. I Franklin like that. Met, that's a, a one-act right yeah, there. Yeah, Franklin met Mesmer. Yeah. And so he was debunked as a fraud. But he clearly had a lot of effect on people. I mean, people yeah. fell into trances. Yeah. I mean, there were there were a lot of things that were going on. So he was clearly a very mesmerizing mm-hmm. individual. So after he was dismissed, this this kind of fell out of fashion. Then this guy in Manchester, um, James Braid, actually revisited this and said, you know what? There's something going on here. This was in the 1840s. He actually did have an effect on people. And he called it, he renamed it from mesmerism to hypnotism because he Thank actually- Thank God he didn't call it Braidism. <laughs> so he took it from hypnos, from the Greek word for sleep, yeah. because he thought originally that people- went to sleep, that they were in a sleep dreamlike state. Um, after Afterwards, he decided that that wasn't actually true. Luckily, he did not rename it another time. Yeah. It stayed hypnotism. But he said that it was basically a state of concentrated attention and absorption, which is very close to the modern definition of what hypnosis actually is. Um, so that brings us to kind of modern this day. conversation right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, to modern yeah. day hypnosis. Freud, by the way, we've talked about Freud before on this podcast, and he did a lot of weird things. You but complimentarily, he, me, not so much, but okay. <laughs> but he dismissed hypnosis. Did He's, he? Yeah, he, he tried it, and he said, no, no, this doesn't work. Is, there's no such thing as Freudian hypnosis, like so a Freudian would not use hypnosis? Well, so, Why do I conflate the two in my mind? The well, weird, because a lot of psycho... Viennese yeah. guy with the watch. He tried, and, yeah. he tried, and a lot of psychoanalysts today would use hypnosis, but Freud himself gotcha. tried it and then dismissed it. He said it wasn't effective, that you needed talk therapy, that it wasn't actually effective to yeah. work through a lot of this stuff. Had the billing hours. Got it. Right. But I'm sure he had his own reason. And in the past, people thought it could really cure everything, mm-hmm. that hypnosis could cure everything from cancer to there was this guy in France. I'm going to have to say his name because it's just so cool. Ambroise Auguste Libot. 
he was the head of the Nancy School, and he <laughs> and he he thought that it could cure cancer, yeah. that it could be an antidote to poisons, yeah. that it could make you withstand huge amounts of pain. I mean, his poor patients. I can imagine him putting in pokers for their skin, being yeah. like, "Are you hypnotized? Can you feel that pain?" But he actually thought that it could do everything, and in present day hypnosis, that's not necessarily the case. So people no longer make the claims. No one thinks hypnosis is going to cure cancer, but people do use it for behavioral change and they use it for pain management. So they do use it in cancer, but can, you know, can hypnosis help you manage your pain better so that these procedures won't hurt as much? They use it before a lot of medical procedures Mm -hmm. to try to relax people and to try to get them in a state where they're not going to be as anxious because anxiety can actually make procedures not go as well. Um, So it's become much more circumscribed and people still do use it so you're right when you're talking about kind of the psychoanalyst with with the watch because people do use it still in certain types of therapy in fact some people use it in combination with cognitive behavioral therapy there's a new acronym that i learned in researching this cbth yeah that's cognitive behavioral therapy plus hypnosis Ah. (laughs) plus hypnotic induction just keep putting letters on to the end of that yes and one of the things that's really frustrating is there hasn't been a really good definition of what is hypnosis. Right. And so finally... Why is it different from just deep relaxation? Exactly. So finally, the American Psychological Association in 2014 came together and said, guys, like, our definition sucks. It's very vague. Anything can fall under hypnosis. We don't know what we're talking about. Let's fix this. And so they came up with a definition, and I'll just read it. It's a state of consciousness. Could you read it like you were trying to hypnotize me? Go ahead. It's a state of consciousness. in a state of consciousness. Involving focused attention. Focused attention is getting less focused. And reduced peripheral awareness. Your peripheral awareness. Characterized by an enhanced capacity for response to suggestion. We're done. That was a really good duet. Response to suggestion. (laughs) Okay, that makes sense. And some people are more hypnotizable than others. Yeah. So some people are easier to induce into this state. Yes. And some people are better hypnotists than others. And so that's usually my rule of thumb is if the hypnotist has the amazing before his name, he's a pretty good hypnotist. Yes. I've never gone to see a hypnotist and have that guy be billed as the middling. So I guess the main question is, you know, does this work? Can we if we put you into a state of focused attention mm-hmm. and reduced peripheral awareness? So what we mean by reduced peripheral awareness is you're not actually paying attention to anything else. So some people will attest, they'll say that the only voice you hear is your hypnotist's voice. That's kind of the only thing you're responsive to, nothing else, you know. That's how you get people on stage to do yeah. really crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah. You ever see the guy who like he was or this is a common thing, but they'll suggest that an onion is an apple and he'll just chomp away at that apple. But it's really an onion. Yeah. 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 That's cool. See. What do you think of that? Yours is nearly gone. You must have been hungry. Where did you get these from? Uh, somebody got them for me, but we can get some more for you when you finish. <laughs> when I snap the fingers of the microphone twice, you'll realize exactly what you're eating. You will not spit or throw anything at the hypnotist. And that's why I think it might work for, say, weight yeah. loss. Just convince everyone that cake is broccoli or the other way around. <laughs> During the time that you're under hypnosis. Never take away the suggestion. So, Celery so, is fettuccine Alfredo. <laughs> so basically keep them hypnotized for life. Yeah, hypnotize, hypnotize the way to way. Isn't it, there, does that work? Isn't there, isn't there a movie about that? Hal? It's, was, yeah, something. it's better off Hal. Shallow Hal. Shallow Hal, Shallow. there we go. 
You're saying that all the pretty girls I've met lately aren't really pretty. Hal Larson is dating a vision only he can see. Oh, there she is. There's Rosemary. Where? Right there. Is she behind the rhino? 20th Century Fox presents. I'm sorry I got us on this t- tangent. Shallow but it's actually, But it's actually relevant because yeah. can something like that work? Can you be hypnotized and stay in that state Made of hypnosis? Farrelly Brothers, $75 million in box office. <laughs> Where you have that. an enhanced capacity uh-huh. for response to suggestion. By the way, look at that definition. It basically already says that hypnosis works wow. because the definition says that you have an enhanced capacity to be open to suggestion. And so if that's true, then you're in fact open to suggestions. And so what we know, there have been a few analyses of all of the data that have come out on hypnosis. And conclusion number one, it's really hard to do a good study on this because good studies, as we know, are randomized, controlled, and and usually double-blind. How in the world do you do a double-blind or even a single-blind study in hypnosis? Someone who's not really hypnotized but thinks he... Right. You definitely have the group that is hypnotized, and then what do you do about the group that... Exactly. You just put them in a relaxation state, but they know they're not being hypnotized. It's not like medicine. Well, you have a real hypnotist and then just someone who read the book that I read in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Just have a fake hypnotist who can't possibly get it right just by random. Well, but then it's not double blind because the person doing it knows what effect they're expecting, right? Because yeah. the real hypnotist is doing the real hypnosis and the fake hypnotist knows he can't hypnotize. Yeah. And so part of the reason we have right. double blind studies is because and hypnosis is very much in your mind mm-hmm. and so it's very psychological. The reason why psychology studies in particular need to be double blind is experimenter bias can really skew results. Um, it's called demand characteristics. So if you already know what you're expecting to get, your subjects might subconsciously end up giving you that result because you're pushing them also subconsciously. I'm not this is this doesn't mean that you're a bad experimenter and you're trying to skew your data. This all happens on kind of a subconscious level, but you end up pushing people in the direction that you want your experiment to go. So hypnosis is really, really tough because it's impossible to give someone a placebo and it's impossible to blind the person doing the hypnotizing. Except um, for literally, but yeah. And so we end up having you know, to do things like, well, one group has hypnosis, one group has a relaxation therapy, and one group does meditation, you know, and we'll, we'll see if hypnosis is any better. And that's how you do the randomized control stu- uh, studies here. But all of the analyses conclude that the quality of the data is actually quite poor. So we do find effects, yeah. but we don't know how, how much we can trust these effects. Every single study I read concludes we need better quality data. You yeah. know, we need people to do this better. So, for instance, first I read a, a review of some trials with children who had cancer to see, you know, can hypnosis be effective at um, helping them manage pain and at reducing stress? And it shows that Yes, it seems to be effective, but then the final sentence of the study is the quality of trials in this area needs to be improved. So then is it effective or not? Well, if we see an effect, but the quality of the studies is shitty, then we don't really know what we're looking at. But I guess if they could say that given all this, given that we haven't double-blinded it, people who've undergone hypnosis, and they might be getting the placebo effect. And in this case, I really think that people wouldn't mind if they're getting the placebo effect. No, not at all. If we could say they went from smoking to non-smoking at a greater rate than nicotine patch, then we're going to say hypnosis works. Yeah, so unfortunately, we don't have something like (laughs) that. It doesn't Uh, seem hard. um, But we do have, I mean, so we have one review um, that was done two years ago of about 1,000 patients in total, because this was a bunch of studies. And... 
they said that, yes, there were major quality limitations because there were different experiences in hypnosis. So this is, when we were talking about psychoanalysis, this is why we were saying it's hard to study psychoanalysis Mm -hmm. because every psychoanalyst is different. Every hypnotist is also different. So it seemed, this was looking at hypnosis before a major medical procedure, and it showed that there was some effect, but once again, the quality of the data is not great. But I think you're absolutely right because hypnosis really is in the mind, and when it comes to things like pain management, like anxiety, um, those types of problems, I think that if it's, even if it's placebo, that's great. Um, And even if it's a poorly designed study, we can probably say that it does have some effect if they keep finding effects. And the first part of this is, so we could go through this in order, is it bullshit that people really do have a different state that can be measured and discerned and you can put people in a different state? That's not bullshit, but as for measuring and discerning it, there's a lot of controversy on what exactly happens when you're in a hypnotized state. Some people say that there's different brainwave activity. Um, Some people say that there's not. So it's actually really difficult to to measure it that way, at least for now. Maybe one day we'll be able to. So when in this state, suggestions can be planted that positively affects behavior or experiences afterwards. Is that bullshit? It seems to work on some people in some cases. There's no good evidence that it's effective for behavior change on its own. There's evidence that with things like cognitive behavioral therapy, it's actually effective in behavioral change. But how do we kind of take away the effects of the cognitive behavioral therapy? Um, So in combination therapies, it's been shown to work. And we do see it working on pain reduction, but we don't really see. So your smoking cessation, your weight loss, maybe for some people with some hypnotists, it could be effective, but there's no good evidence that shows that this is actually a treatment that should be prescribed before something else. Still, fettuccine is celery. That could help. Yes. All right. On account of three, Maria Konnikova, author of The Confidence Game, you will come back to us. On account of three, one, two, three, and you're back. <laughs> How do you feel? A little like celery. Yeah. Maria Konnikova, <laughs> she plays as that bullshit with us. Thank you for returning to the realm of the awakened. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. So everything you do, I mean, convenience now pretty much is intertwined with the internet. I don't know, maybe if you're a canoeist or a cabinet maker, untrue, but I bet you're on ecanoe.com. The e prefix, that used to be a big thing, now not so much. Anyway, we've disrupted the canoe space enough, but think about finance. There are sites out there that will let you trade stocks, but what about if you want to just get control of your wealth, such as it is, if you want to plan for retirement, if you just want to get on top of things, but you're comfortable with the internet, you're comfortable with an app, interfaces that are online are even preferable to you. You don't want to hire a guy necessarily, go into his office, you know, look at his suit that probably should have been swapped out 11 years ago. Well, there's a great app for you and it's called Betterment. It allows you to take control of your financial future. It has 150,000 customers. They're managing over $4 billion in money for people like you. And people like you are people who maybe listen to podcasts and wouldn't mind to have a low-cost way of managing their finances. And the feeling, the feeling of just that you've got a grasp of this thing, this really important thing, like why you work every day is this thing I'm talking about, Betterment. You can get up to six months of automated investing free, and you can also find out more information when you go to betterment.com slash gist. That's betterment.com slash gist. It makes investing easier at a lower cost. Betterment, investing made better. 
And now the spiel. Can we talk about chalk? A couple of weeks ago, a fine Southern University, Emory, from which I was graduated, saw a spate of graffiti in chalk on the campus. This graffiti so paralyzed elements of the student body that it caused a campus-wide kerfuffle. I will read the message that was scrawled in a moment, but first, let this serve as a trigger warning. They instilled, these messages instilled in one eyewitness this reaction, quote, I'm supposed to feel comfortable and safe here. I don't deserve to feel afraid at my school. Another described the disparate impact that the graffiti had on communities of color, quote, people of color are struggling academically because they're so focused on trying to have a safe community. Seeing these messages created, said another observer, quote, an environment of hatred and put other students, quote, in pain. Okay. You've all been fairly warned. Here's what was written. Trump 2016. Yes, the name of the Republican frontrunner and the year that the election is to be held. Or maybe they were just writing this year, like when an artist signs a print and then writes the year under it. But this was no artist. This was a merchant of menace because another Trump chalking, as they're being called, asked observers to accept the inevitable Trump 2016. Now, I guess given the climate on college campuses that this sort of severe offense would be, in fact, inevitable. It's a public declaration of support for the Republican frontrunner. Or is it a hate crime? Maybe I'm wrong. One offended student, in fact, she was a recent alum, she spelled out the problem. They weren't the messages themselves, she said, but how the university president selectively decided which offensive speech to address. Here's her argument, quote, When swastikas were painted outside a Jewish fraternity after a Jewish holiday, the president issued a comment within less than 24 hours. The issue isn't that people are upset that someone expressed their opinion because of freedom of speech. The issue is that the university president only recognizes when people are offended when it pertains to the majority group. Uh Uh-huh. Or maybe it's that a swastika is the most unambiguous symbol of hate in world history, and Trump 2016 is the surname of the leading Republican candidate combined with the year. And yeah, I know Trump just isn't any leading Republican candidate. We all know about the wall and the Muslims on the rooftops and the David Duke non-disavowal. We all know that. But he's no more a human swastika than his wife, Melania, is a sleeper agent set to undermine society or maybe just her husband's candidacy. She spoke in Wisconsin today. When you attack him, he will punch back 10 times harder. No matter who you are, a man or a woman. He treats men and women the same by punching them. Got it. She softened up her husband. She really humanized him there. Good job, Melania. My favorite piece of the Emory chalking story was this from the Emory Wheel. Mike Pesca, former assistant sports editor, quote, Many students carried signs featuring slogans such as Stop Trump or Stop Hate and an anti-phonal chant addressed to university administration. Now, when I first heard about the anti-phonal chant, I was pretty excited because most of the phonal ones have been grading on me. The people united will never be defeated is appropriate for a demonstration insofar as it is demonstrably untrue. Defeated groups of united people litter the political landscape. Defeating united people is what powerful people have been doing for years and years and years. But that chant does not gall me as much as this old chestnut. (laughs) 
This is what democracy looks like. No, that's what a couple hundred fish fans in a drum circle looks like. Democracy looks like people in suits seconding the motion to reconsider the decision of the chair for a vote of cloture on the matter before us. More discussion, less percussion. So let's see what sort of anti-phonal chants the Johann Sebastian Bach of the Quad cooked up. Here they are. You're not listening. Come speak to us. We are in pain. I don't know how the antiphonal part of that, you know, it means like the choir is split in half. It's like a call and response thing. Maybe it's antiphonal also. I'll throw that out there. Here's another one of those antiphonal chants. It is our duty to fight for freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. I mean, I really tried to provide the appropriate meter there. It just isn't scanning for me. Oh, antiphonal chants. I don't think you're replacing the old ones. Two, four, six, eight, back to the old chance before it's too late. Sight, sound, touch, taste. Remember, chalk can be erased. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi produces just in Azerbaijan. They produce dust. Steve Liktai is executive producer of Slate Podcasts, but in Azerbaijan, they produce plates of glass, which are no types of plate for their imaginary food, because it's not a country. Andy Bowers is chief content officer of the Panoply Networks, which sounds like made-up job. He'd be right in home in Azerbaijan, for reasons I have already mentioned. We had special audio help today from Bob Kirshner and Meryl DeVolder. These are not real people. They must be Azerbaijani. The gist podcast what is podcast this is radio show is a real thing this must this must be top podcast in azerbaijan because podcast is no radio in azerbaijan it's not a country Peru, peru, du peru. made up phrase not a phrase and thanks for listening not sincere <laughs>